Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. So as you graduate and head out into the world, there's only one thing that you need to know. Hi, this is Jamie from Progressive. Yeah, I can talk now. Progressive protects you 24-7. So, tell me what happened. Oh, I'm sorry, Gene. Can you give me one second? Um, brush that for every meal. Congratulations and thank you. Sorry about that. I'm back. So tell me about this fender bender. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to a Pizza Friday edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast. I'm Adam Weiner, alongside Thomas Carinante, and the Yankees are playing October baseball. Literally, not figuratively, it is October 1st, but on Thursday, they drew closer to finishing the damn deal. A huge win over the Toronto Blue Jays, a comeback win, something this team has been incredibly good at this year, even though it has not felt like it. They are right up there with the Rays and Red Sox, which is weird. And speaking of the Red Sox, they lost to Baltimore again, meaning the Yanks are two game up on home field advantage with three to play three games up on the Blue Jays who can no longer pass them, which is huge. The Yanks have the Rays coming up this weekend. The Rays want to kick their ass. So nothing is assured, but the Yanks not only have a wild card spot, but they have the top wild card spot by two games. Seattle now controls its own destiny with the Boston Red Sox, which is monstrous and we're excited we didn't think the pressure was going to be off this weekend the pressure is not off this weekend but the pressure is not on as much as we thought it was going to be this weekend does that make sense make sure to find us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify wherever you get your podcast drop us a five-star review along with a mailbag question we'll be more than happy to answer it i saw a mailbag question up there the other day oh. about which which managers we want to replace aaron boone uh, if he gets fired maybe we hold off on the boone firing talk for a uh, a couple weeks, but I will just say uh, my guy's Carlos Beltran. Uh, Thomas Carinante, welcome to the podcast. Uh, another happy one. 
uh, tough sledding on Wednesday. All the doubts began to creep back in your mind. Uh, Garrett Cole was bad. We don't know what's wrong with him, even though we definitely do know what's wrong with him. But if you lose Thursday, this starts to spiral a little bit. The Yanks would then be one game up on three teams tied for the second spot. That's not where you want to be facing the 98-win Rays. Now you got yourselves a cushion. Absolutely. The Yankees got a big boy win on Thursday. That's what I'm going to call it. We haven't had many of those this year. Couldn't come at a better time. Um, what did I ask? I asked for I've asked for two things from the Yankees these last couple of weeks, and they've actually delivered. I asked them to show us that the Red Sox rotation and bullpen just really wasn't that good. And they managed to do that for us. And then I asked nicely yesterday if they could just cream Robbie Ray, because I mean, arguably, I saw on Twitter probably the most fraudulent Cy Young winner since Rick Porcello, like. Robbie Ray has coming into this year, had a career like 4.10 ERA or might have even been higher than that. And his 2.68 mark coming into last night's start lowered that to 3.97. So the guy is like, yeah, I mean, he's having a good year. God bless. But like nothing special, not shouldn't be overly fooling teams that are this good offensively. Um, Most and they of did what it. I remember from Robbie Ray is Yankee fans in 2019 yes. being like, oh, my fucking God, don't trade for Robbie Ray. Yep. Uh, yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, and they didn't. And now he's good. Yeah. Just uh, a very weird uh, like it, it's not even a renaissance season from him. It's just a super uncharacter. He's had like similar ish seasons where he was good. Um, but doing this in the AL East and in the AL with the DH is is kind of insane. Um, and he has hittable stuff. You know, you watch him and it's just like. Yeah, this guy's good, but like, we're the New York Yankees. Let's get some hits. And honestly, that seventh inning, I know it wasn't the biggest inning of the year, but that might have been the coolest inning of Yankees baseball I've watched this year. The six, top of the sixth. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, the top of the six. Yes. Okay. Because um, I like the seventh yeah. too, but yeah. <laughs> Severino, but the, the yes. sixth is where it's. Yeah. At. Apologies, guys. Uh, top of the sixth. Uh, you got George Springer in the bottom of the fifth, shimmying in the dugout when they take a Come 2 on. 1 lead. Uh, cool, dude. Uh, half yeah. the game, half the game still exists. Um, and uh, then the top of the six was just Robbie Ray getting shelled. Um, and it was it was the coolest half inning I think of Yankees baseball I've watched this year. I know the Stanton Grand Slam. I know just the destruction of Nathan Eovaldi last week was was probably more momentous than that than what happened last night. Um, but I, you couldn't ask for a better punchback, a better statement um, in that inning. Uh, and just like it's it was just a big fuck you because you have Blue Jays prematurely celebrating. You have the crowd there. Pretty, pretty loud crowd and very supportive crowd. They actually uh, clapped for Robbie Ray when he walked off the mound after getting obliterated yeah. for four and runs in those uh, those three home runs. It was uh, who uh, it was Rizzo, then Judge, then Glaber Torres. Um, yep. the, just the absolute coolest stuff I've ever seen. Um and uh, yeah, as you were saying about this weekend, that it, it was just it was just a win you needed to get to take the pressure off because, like you said, I, I, this weekend is certainly a little bit lower stakes. But the Rays got their home field advantage by beating the Astros uh, once in, in their series that just passed, um, and now the pressure's on the Red Sox because they lost that game against the Orioles. So, what is the Yankees' magic number? Is one? Is it one it's, or is it it's two? Two. two. It, it's one. You need one win to secure a tie. Yeah, but you need uh, either two wins or one win, and either a Boston or Seattle loss, and you're yeah. in. Uh, but I mean, you can't really, you know, for the first time in a while, they're not facing because 
<laughs> I'm just having a great time. For the first time in a while, they're not they're not directly facing the team that's competing with them to knock that magic number down. So yeah. even though they were up three with five to go this week, it was fraudulent because they had two more in Toronto. If Toronto beat them twice, not inconceivable, it would have been down to one mm-hmm. because there was nobody else to do their business for them. Every loss was a direct gain by the chasing team. Yeah. So like, you know, they entered that series up two. winning the first one to go up three was fantastic, but it didn't come any closer to locking anything down if they couldn't win one of the next two because mm-hmm. Toronto was obviously going to win the one that the Yankees lost. And yeah. so you can't count on Seattle to lose to the Angels. And I don't really want to do that. I would hope I hope Seattle beats the Angels. You can't count on the Red Sox to lose to the Nationals, although it's more likely than it was before they entered that Orioles series. You can handle your own business and then scoreboard watch now. A loss by the Yankees on Friday or Saturday doesn't automatically mean that the teams behind them are also mm-hmm. gaining. Um, yeah. And it is helpful to be the same number of games up on both teams competing for the last spot as opposed to being like one up on the Red Sox and two up on Seattle mm-hmm. because then you're eyeing Seattle, but you want Seattle to win because you want the Red Sox to drop out, but you can't root for Seattle to win because you're also getting tracked down by them. And so yeah. when they're both in that mud, it's kind of a little more fun. Um, giving more credit to the top of the sixth inning yesterday, by the way, this is, I, I mean, you know, it's not over. They're coming home to face the Rays. Nothing is clinched yet at all. And nobody knows that more than me. But entering this road six games against the Red Sox and the Jays, those are, are, are borderline impossible. The Yankees have to take two out of three in each series to feel at all confident. Not just that they, you know, two out of three in each wouldn't cinch anything. Three out of three and two out of three didn't cinch anything. Mm-hmm. But they needed to win both series to even really have a chance at getting a playoff spot without having to like sweep the Rays or do something drastic in the last week of the season. Um, they swept the Red Sox. They took two out of three from the Jays. And in those five wins, four times in five games in the middle to late innings, they had an explosion inning that not only took the lead or retook the lead or flipped the game, but put it not out of reach, but out of, you know, created a significant margin and gap between the Yankees and, the, and their opponent, which is so rare in these huge games. The, the relief that the Yankees were able to feel, it, this is the most underrated part of these wins for me. They weren't hitting grand slams to go up 4-3 and then having to hang on by their absolute fingernails for the final few innings. The first stand grand slam put him up 5-2 after being down 2-1. Not insurmountable, and we learned that the hard way because people were on base in the ninth against the role of Chapman. But again, 5-2 versus 3-2. In the disaster game where Aaron Judge hit his double and everything went off the rails and people were dropping balls, Judge's double makes it 4-3. That's about to be two innings of one-run baseball at Fenway Park and a must-win until Stanton homers. Then it's 6-3. Then it's different. There were guys on the corners with one out in the bottom of the eighth, which was, you know, the tying runs at the plate, but it's much less terrifying when you're up three. First game of the Blue Jays series, it's 3-2, two outs, two strikes with Stanton up, and he hits a three-run shot and make it 6-2. That changes the complexion of everything. And again, last night, they're down 2-1 in the sixth. Rizzo ties the game with a homer. It feels huge. You che- you texted me, I want Judge to go way yard here, and he does, and it's unbelievable. But then it's just 3-2. It takes the stand walk and the Torres homer to go at 5-2. The Yankees aren't just creating the insurance that they usually don't, that usually feels like it's pulling teeth to come by. They're doing it in buckets, and they're doing it immediately. I said this last night. When this was, you know, when this felt like the tightest game and when this felt like another version of the biggest game of the year, how many huge games during the supposed baby bombers era, which I don't even want to call this anymore, but 
is what it is. Uh, 2017 to present. How many massive games for this team have consisted of one Aaron Judge solo home run early, nothing for six innings, a blown lead, and a loss? The game five against Tampa last year. Game two against Houston in the ALCS on the road. Um, It's like this team's modus operandi is Judge homers early, you in the first or the third, you go, Oh my god, we're actually gonna come through in a big game. Offense does nothing in the fourth, nothing in the fifth, game is tied, nothing in the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. They get walked off by somebody that we hate. It's just how this it, it's been that way over and over and over again. And when the Yankees went up one nothing early in this one, it you had to fight off the same urge. It was like, um, yeah, I've seen this before. Judge Homer's early, they do nothing. They don't get a hit between the Judge Homer and the Rizzo Homer. Until Urshela's infield single, all their hits in the game were home runs. But that's why that insurance barrage was so incredible. Because it not, now they're doing it on a consistent basis. They are not just taking the lead, but taking a large lead at the drop of a hat, which takes at least some pressure off the bullpen. So in the ninth, when Aroldis Chapman gives up a leadoff single to Santiago Espinal, it's 6-2 with the leadoff man on base. He still has some wiggle room before Vlad Jr.'s the tying run. He still has some wiggle room before Bo Bichette is the tying run, which, by the way, was looming with a 3-2 pitch to Marcus Sammy in the end of the game. Like, there was still terror in the air, but it was 6-2, it wasn't 3-2, and it wasn't 5-4. The Yankees have done an incredible job at widening and lengthening that lead, which has sort of been the most overwhelmingly incredible thing from the last week or so for me. And it's been an incredible week in many respects, but that's what stands out. Absolutely. they they And they're doing this in bunches now after not really doing this at all for most of the year. This is like all really we had asked was like, Hey dude, like maybe once or twice a week we do this. So the starting rotations like can chill out for a little while or the bullpen doesn't have to come in with, you know, their butt cheek slammed tight, worrying about if they give up a run, it's going to ruin the game. Um, And they couldn't have picked a better time to start doing this because you have these divisional opponents, which we kind of railed on them heading into last weekend about not being able to beat. We're sitting here coming into the coming into this this final stretch of nine games against all divisional opponents, and you have your seven games under five hundred against the teams you're directly competing with for a postseason spot. Um, I know that they they didn't they didn't end the season with winning winning records against the Sox or the Jays, but they 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 left a, as big a statement as you can on the the season series against both of those teams because. They essentially ruined the Red Sox. Like, I'm not going to prematurely say the Red Sox are dead, but the Red Sox have lost five of six, and they look bad ever since the Yankees just went into Fenway and completely destroyed them. Um, the Jays were obviously limping into this series. Uh, they, they were six and seven over their last 13, um, and they kind of had owned the narrative on the Yankees this year. They were the ones who constantly punched back. They were the ones who came through with big hits. They were the ones They're who were so working. good. Yeah. They, Bo Bichette is the most, now the most annoying player I've ever watched. And uh, I watched that. Yeah. You, you I, look at I that lineup. I don't it. know how anybody gets them out ever. Yeah. I, I want to enjoy, and I can't enjoy it. I can't enjoy watching Bo Bichette and it sucks because he's just, he's constantly screwing me. Um, but unbelievable player unbelievable lineup this is and they have gotten the better of us for for most of this year i know that it wasn't it, what, what were they six and nine versus the jays coming into the series or something like that something like that i mean yeah. if the jays don't four game sweep the yankees at yankee stadium two weeks ago yeah. which three weeks ago 
four game sweep at the Yankee Stadium. That's why we're even in this predicament. Yeah. Like, what the hell was that? I know. That's why it's incredible that they were able to go up north. We we were treating it so casually, like, oh, they just have to go up to Toronto and win two out of three. Like they just got four games swept at your own ballpark in four of the dullest offensive performances of all time with the same roster. You're gonna go up to Toronto and do that, really? Then they did. I, I mean, they've got me shook. I, I don't know about you, but the moment I was I was still terrified in the ninth inning, Chapman's coming in, and they cut to the dugout, and it's Springer and Bo Bichette. Springer's gonna bat third. Bichette's not due up, but you know, he's got a he's got a hold on this team. He's sort of as he goes, they go. When he doubled to start off the eighth against Chad Green, I'm like, oh cool, 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 cool. And then Chad Green somehow throws like 30 pitches, strikes out the side, nobody scores. Every curveball he throws is a hanger. None of them get hit, except for the Bichette one. And every fastball is nasty, and yet he's still mixing curveballs in there or whatever. But the ninth inning starts off. You've got Bichette and Springer in the dugout together watching film on an iPad, and they're both nodding at each other. Like, Springer gives him a little <laughs> look and a nod, and Bichette nods to Springer. And I'm like, he's going deep against Chapman. I mean, it's, it's only a question of whether it's 6'4 or 6'5. Like, Springer knows what's up against Chapman. Then he whiffs on a 3-2 fastball way in off the plate at his toes. A fastball. Chapman doesn't throw a cutter. So Chapman yanked a fastball at Springer's legs, and Springer whiffed on it. Which, like, if I had to pick one pitch that changed the season, it might be that one. Springer should have walked. Semyon could have walked. Could have been bases loaded, one out. Vlad Jr.'s the tying run with Bichette behind him. Uh, instead, Springer whiffs at a ball at his ankles again after confidently nodding at Bichette. I have no idea why that terrified me, and I don't know why that didn't turn out to be a terrifying moment. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna, we got to talk Garrett Cole for a little bit. Welcome back to the Yanks Go Yard podcast. Uh, we, we can't let this go without expressing a little bit of concern about Garrett Cole, who will be starting the wildcard game. Um, unless absolutely needed on Sunday. But I, I personally don't think they're going to use him if home field advantage is all at stake. I don't know if you agree. I, I think it's. I think they would use him if they if they needed to potentially avoid a game 163. But if it looks like they might get locked into a tiebreaker or something like that, you want Cole in the tiebreaker. You don't want him on Sunday not eligible for the tiebreaker. So we'll see. Big old exhale. But he hurt his hamstring against Toronto at home. Since then, he put up uh, his worst start of the year against Cleveland. Uh, a totally fine start at Baltimore, but it was a tough five innings. that took a lot of breathing. Six innings, three runs at Fenway. Gave up three and shot to Devers. Never really totally looked right, but obviously was good enough. That's a fine start. And held it together against Toronto, but gave just gave up a run every inning and obviously was not an ace on Wednesday at the moment when it kind of looked like the Yankees might slip out of the lead dog spot. Um, it was sort of unreasonable to expect them to win every single game on this nine game stretch. That's why we thought this weekend series at the Rays would sort of be, you know, you could take a breath, but it obviously wouldn't be close to over because there's no way they're winning five of six. They, they're you're trying to win four or six. You're not going to do six of six. You're going to do five of six. They do five. It's amazing. But the one loss, Cole looks really bad. He is going to be starting the most important games for this team down the stretch. Is there reason to worry? I, I personally, I'm not worried about Cole, the contract or Cole, the person, but I'm definitely worried about Cole, the pitcher next week. Yeah. Cole, the pitcher with whatever's happening right now, two and two yeah. with a six, three, five ERA and 1.59 whip in his last four starts. I know that's heavily inflated by the, the start against Cleveland, but like, like you look at the Orioles start 
threw 108 pitches in five innings. He was laboring yeah. against the not a great lineup. I know the Orioles have kind of very much turned it around. They 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 they, they, they gave Nick Pavetta the business last night. Yeah, better but, better than the Red Sox. <laughs> uh, certainly better than the Red Sox, but. Um, Cole, there, there, something just hasn't been the same. And look, I'm not discrediting what he did in Boston, but when you, uh, when you get three first inning runs and then seven runs by the second inning and you're a starting pitcher and you're facing the Red Sox who, uh, who are kind of a little bit dejected after that, um, the start gets a lot easier, which I'm thankful for that that happened because like we just talked about before the break, very much key for the offense to give the pitching staff some nights off, not asking for every night off, just one relax, a couple of relaxed starts for Garrett Cole, a couple of relaxed starts for Corey Kluber, guys who like needed who Corey Kluber was coming off an injury. Cole has been carrying the rotation all year, like give them a break for one start. And Cole got that break against the Red Sox. Um Pitching relaxed, got to take his time, got to pick his spots. It was very much different against the Jays. Um, he, he was, he, I don't know if he was mislocating as fast, but I don't know if that's the right word. He's end of the day. He's usually dotting the corners. He was not doing that for the most part. His fastballs were tailing in right over the middle of the plate. You saw that on the Simeon Homer. Um, and, uh, who else homered off him? I'm Bichette. Yeah. Bichette Bichette cranked one. Um, and look, this start wasn't entirely Garrett Cole's fault. Joey Gallo has to call off Gio Urshela on that George Springer pop-up, which ends up being a double, which ends up being counted as a double and counted as an earned run, which is beyond me. I don't know who ruled that. Does that, is that, that seems a little bit insane to me. I don't know about you. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. A, a and then we bit. put Joey Gallo in for defense yesterday. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for doing that. Um, Gallo has made now, I think three or four gaffes in the last five games that he's played. Um, the drop pop up at Fenway, the throw to home plate on the warning track on a sack fly at Fenway, um, that one. And I feel like he's just always making the wrong reads right off the bat. Um, like on the crack of the bat, he's either running backwards when he shouldn't, or he's running forwards when, <laughs> when the ball is clearly hit harder. Don't know Love what's going on backwards. there. Yeah. I mean, don't really know what's going on there either way. I, I you can't pin that on Cole who already had a tough day. Um, but clearly his stuff was not there or he didn't account for the Blue Jays changing up their strategy and being aggressive on his first pitches, which is exactly what they were doing. They were creaming the fastball first pitch look, um, which I feel like teams have done before on him this year. Um, I can't pinpoint the exact starts, but usually the starts Cole has trouble with its opponents jumping on the fastball or jumping on the first pitch, kind of uh, guessing what's coming and, and guessing right. Um, but yeah. nonetheless, even when he is throwing that fastball, the slider wasn't entirely there until like inning three or four, I want to say, if if it really mm -hmm. did ever get there. Um, but he's not locate. He's not. He wasn't pinpointing the corners as efficiently as he usually does from innings one, one, one and two, which were probably the most important. Um, and, and that ended up doing them in uh, because that was the end of it. I know the offense came back. Um, but Bichette's homer in the eighth inning was kind of badass, and and that that sealed it for us. Um, uh, so uh, th there is an element of worry here because Cole clearly has not been the same over his last four starts. We don't know if it's the hamstring, we don't know if it's the hamstring and something else, or we don't know if it's just something else entirely. Uh, because you have to assume that something is going on here. It, this is very uncharacteristic for a guy who was leading the Cy Young race and then just 
fell off a cliff in September and now is no longer. I mean, even with Robbie Ray's bad start, he's not going to win it. Right. Um, no, I don't think I don't, so. I don't think so. Uh, so, and then you look at, you look at the stakes that are coming up. Look, Cole had a very good opportunity. I'm not saying he blew it guys. He, he just had a very good opportunity to end the year on the right foot in a playoff S game to shut the door on the blue Jays. And he couldn't do it for whatever reasons. Like we said, we, we don't really know what's going on, but now that changes the mental state going into a one game playoff in whatever fashion that may be. Um, and Hey, maybe he uses it as motivation because he's like, ah, fucking a I screwed this up. We, we, we could have had the sweep in Toronto. I kind of I, I didn't bring my best stuff. I, I, I wasn't there. I wasn't totally there for that outing. I'm going to come back and kick some ass. But you look at the flip side and kind of hard to deal with. He know he, he knows he's been not great over the last month. And I don't know how that's factoring in for him mentally heading into a potential whatever it may be. We could be on the road at Fenway. We could be home against the, the Red Sox. We could be home against the Jays. We could be home against the Mariners. So there's a lot of different scenarios here. And I don't know how he's kind of going to respond to that. I think he's probably going to respond with a badass outing. But if he's not 100 percent, you really don't know. So we're not worried about Garrett Cole what he's capable of, or did we pay Garrett Cole too much money? Once again, not our money. Don't really give a shit, but um, are concerned about what's going on with Garrett Cole right now, given the circumstances, because this is the guy that's got to get us to the next step. And I just don't know how they, we'll put it this way. The bullpen better be all hands on deck for that day. The freaking bullpen. I, I do want to talk about this too. The thing with uh, Garrett Cole, frankly, is, Obviously, he's had struggles for a while now, whether it's the hamstring, whether it's mental, whether it's fatigue, whatnot. I'm glad it is Garrett Cole struggling and not some flash in the pan like Robbie Ray struggling at the yes. tail end of the season, trying to get it together. Because if if it were, let's say, Nestor Cortez Jr. is getting bombed all September, I really like I love him. I love the story. I love what he's given us. But I definitely don't have full faith in a mental checkbook to be like, Nestor's got October like he's been good his whole career in October like there's no you know I've got nothing to reference Cole I know is Garrett Cole Um, nothing changes that you can't say that losing his substances ruined his season potentially it's messing with his mind a little bit now it's probably something that's in the back of his head at all times but his numbers since the sticky substance ban he's up to like a 4.15 ERA or something but He's up to he's past six in September because of whatever else is bugging him. So you take that out and there's really, you know, hasn't been that large a a cause and effect since that Mm -hmm. moment outside of just a couple rough starts. He hasn't been perfect this year. I would be I I don't think he deserves to be the Cy Young. If you like Gary Coles had a great year with a couple of really brutal public stinkers. Yeah. And if you told me at the end of the year, he's the best pitcher in the American League this year, I would be like, there's just no way I just don't buy. I don't buy that. Like he might be the most pedigreed pitcher in the American league this year, and he might be the best next year. And it's not discounting him at all. It's just to say that if that's the best season that anybody in the league has to offer, I would beg of you to reevaluate. Cause that just can't be, that can't be true. Maybe it is. I, I feel like, yeah, I don't know, but <laughs> is what it is. I don't know. The bullpen, hmm? Go. I just don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's either apparently one or two. Maybe there's no pitching in the American League this year. Yeah. And then you look at the National League and it's like Burns, Woodruff, Scherzer, like Wheeler. Bueller. There's a million guys in the National League. Bueller, like the, the National League Cy Young guys, there's like 10 dudes who lap Gossman. Like there's a million guys I'd rather have than Robbie Ray leading the National League Cy Young race right now. And none of them are on the Padres. 
Great job, Padres. <laughs> losing record. They're gonna, they might finish the year with a losing record. They're what I thought the Yankees were going to be when the yeah. Yankees were losing that series to the Mets. And I was like, they have 77 wins right now, and they might not get to 81. And you were like, <laughs> you got to shut up. And I was like, no, seriously. I mean, show me the wins. I mean, to be fair, look at this road trip. When the Yankees were busy losing to the Mets and Orioles, and look at this road trip. You're telling me that team was going to yeah. go beat the Red Sox and Jays and, and well, yeah. on the road? That's what Come we're on. sitting here. That's why we're shocked. That's why, like, Yankee fans were like, oh, you didn't trust this team all year. I'm like, Dude, what what did they show me that I needed to trust? They they, they there are so many opportunities that they fumbled, and then you're going to tell me they're going to beat their three toughest opponents to end the year to to take pole position in the fucking playoff positioning. You're out of your mind. I mean, I had faith in them because I like them and I support them, but I wasn't like, oh, we're going. This is it. This is it. We're just going to go in. We're going to we're going to win all the series, and then we're going to get home field. It's pretty easy. No, I was worried as shit the entire time. It's just, I mean, never take these for granted. Never like be like, oh, we're going to go on the road to Fenway. What? We lost at Fenway. Yeah, exactly. And it hurt a lot. We lost the heartbreaking game in Boston. No, (laughs) this can't be happening. Like that's all that happens for years. You start to play into Red Sox fans' hands when you do that. Because when Red Sox fans win a ridiculous miracle game at Fenway, they're like, oh my God, I can't (laughs) believe we actually did that. It's like you do four of that annually. What, like the only Yankee fans who didn't see that coming are the ones who were like on the road to Boston, on the road to Toronto. We got this. We lost one. No way, man. No way. <laughs> like depressed guys after losing like the most losable game in history. But <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, there was definitely potential for them to be at like 80 wins heading into this nine game stretch and finish one and eight. I don't think that would have shocked. It wouldn't have shocked me. Wouldn't I wouldn't have liked it. Um, but the Padres did everything right this offseason. They've ended up like under 500 and probably not going to be over 500. They had you Darvish hurt and bad. Blake Snell hurt and bad. Joe Musgrove. Great. But OK, whatever. Like guy after guy after guy. What what a weird year there. Um, but Yankee bullpen. I'm going to touch on it. Don't want to gloss over it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, um, just because and who knows with this whole godforsaken uh, October's a mess, and even if the Yankees clinch the wild card game, that's one game, and I, you're gonna get like a day to catch your breath, and mm-hmm. then you're either playing the Red Sox at the Yankee Stadium, or going to Fenway Park, or playing the Mariners at the Yankee Stadium. Everybody, the dream is the Yankees win two, and the Red Sox and Mariners end up tied for the second spot and have to play an extra game, one sixty three, which would be in Seattle because the Mariners hold the season series um, for some reason. I don't really know why. I I, I believe the I don't know why, actually. I know that's true, but I don't know why. I thought the Mariners took two out of three, and then the Red Sox took two out of three. Does it become like divisional record or some BS? It must. But oh, I, I could, I read I could the, look that up right now while we're chatting. Yeah, please do. I, I read that that game would be in Seattle, and I don't know why that would be the case. But okay, um, that's the dream. No one knows what's going to happen. The Yankees are at best going to get a one-game chance to prove themselves. At worst, they're going to get... I mean, at worst, they're out of they're out of the postseason. At second worst, they're going to have to play a game to get into the game. There's nothing is going to come easy. None of this is going to be. There's no cushion for them to land on. It's only a relative cushion based on where they were a week ago. But yeah. there's no cushion at all. Every game is make or break. Every second is terrifying. The bullpen could do anything, right? And based on you know this tortured season, there is a chance that absolutely anything could happen at any time. But I think it's safe to say and a safe judgment that even though the names in this bullpen aren't who you expected to be there when the season started, when there was Darren O'Day and there was Justin Wilson and there was Zach Britton, 
right? You're dealing with completely different people. Jonathan Lewisaga hasn't emerged yet, et cetera, et cetera. And last year, you've got Britton and Ottavino and Chapman and Green. And, and it's different guys than it's ever been before. Canely, when the Yankees did have super bullpens. But this year's edition of the Yankees bullpen, I think, is by far the deepest and healthiest and most ready to go into October. Now, healthiest again. We've got three days. Anything can happen healthiest I'm not willing to make a declaration on and say they are the healthiest but in terms of different looks in terms of rested bodies and in terms of multi-inning options you can't ask for better depth from the Yankees bullpen they've never had something like this their sixth option is definitely preferable to their third option from recent years especially when the bullpen would enter October beleaguered and tired and it was green Britain Chapman every day now you've got chapman who's looking like a much better version of himself since july we'll never fully trust him he'll always be your oldest chapman but it's true you can't deny he's been better lately chad green has been better lately i'm not trusting chad green even one iota but i know i'll see him in a playoff game if they make it he has been better for the past seven or so innings the fastball is working there's more run on it because he's getting more rest loisaga is back they're not going to go back-to-back days with loisaga that much was made clear in Thursday's game, I would have gone to Loisaga yesterday. If he's healthy enough to pitch, he's healthy enough to throw back-to-back days after only throwing one inning on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Clay Holmes, <clears throat> not good in the Toronto series, but has been an absolute revelation since joining the New York Yankees. And oh, on September 20-something, they added three rested multi-inning options off the IL. Luis Severino, who's shaken off all the rust already and is throwing high leverage. I'm not sure why he only threw one inning in the opener and one inning yesterday. I kind of wish he did two innings on Thursday. If he's not going to be used back-to-back days anyway, he should be used for multiple innings. That's just what I think. Hashtag, that's just what I think. But Luis Severino, Michael King shows up ready to throw either 40 pitches or a clean 15 in an inning. He's been great. He's got command of the curveball that apparently Corey Kluber taught him, and you can tell they have the same release point. It looks identical. Domingo Herman hasn't even pitched yet. He's at the bottom of the pecking order, but he's also out there. If you need somebody to cover multiple innings, if something crazy happens this weekend, he hasn't even debuted yet. You'd love to get a blowout victory so that you could pop Domingo Herman in there and see what you got. But Wandy Peralta, I didn't even mention. Joely Rodriguez is the true lowest man on the totem pole, but if you need to get a lefty out and you've got two outs in an inning, or if there's a tunnel opportunity with back-to-back lefties, totally competent against lefties. I believe he'll make the playoff roster over Albert Abreu. Not sure if that's the right call, but when I'm debating the last spot on the playoff roster and it's not like, well, you got to throw Heaney on there. The Yankees bullpen <laughs> goes all the way down to the bottom with guys who theoretically, if they had to come into a game, I would go, all right, that's, that's the option. Game on. And three multi-inning guys who weren't active on September 20th who've since been activated and are at full strength-ish right now and have stamina. That is unbelievable to throw in. What a wrench to throw in on, you know, in the final 10 days of the season. When the Blue Jays are throwing Nate Pearson out there yesterday too, you're kind of like, they. I mean, they have one of those guys. They've discovered at the buzzer, basically, that Nate Pearson is good in a short relief roll and high leverage, throwing 101 miles an hour. The Yankees now have two of those guys and possibly a third, in addition to uncovering Clay Holmes, in addition to trusting Wandy Peralta, in addition to getting Green and Chapman the rest they needed. And Jonathan Loisica took three weeks off when he was on the verge of overloading his arm. It's sort of unbelievable the way that the bullpen depth has catalyzed. 
it's psychotic how this has worked out because this was give me one person in the Yankees front office who told me this was the plan and I'll I'll backhand them across the face because Severino was supposed to be back in July as a starter. Michael King started this year as a spot starter and like, you know, ping pong between super long relief. Um, Domingo Herman started was supposed to be a fixture in this rotation for for uh for most for the entire year they were hoping that's why they hung on to him despite all the allegations which many fans were very upset about um and then you look at who else was supposed to be here all these other guys that have left via injury so there's there is no way that this was supposed to pan out the way that it did um the, the, no one was counting on Nestor Cortez being our number two that's another thing that everyone keeps forgetting it's just we're enjoying the Nestor Cortez ride but you, the people, you seem to be forgetting that this was never part of the plan. The guy had like a six ERA coming into the season, just wasn't good. Um, and now you're looking at a rotation that, despite being banged up, has a competent one through four that can take you through a seven game series should you make it there. And then you have guy, you, then you have Severino in in multi inning relief, which is almost plays to his strengths because he's got nasty stuff. If he's throwing, if he's able to throw it as good as he can from the jump, then he's lethal for those two innings or however long you want to throw him for. You got Michael King, who we have talked about at length on this podcast for two years now, being misutilized. Is he a starter? Probably not. If he is a starter, you got to figure out what he's doing in innings one and two because it's really bad and it's not working. Every single start he went out there for, he gave up runs. And then he had that quote this year where he's like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to play for the third or fourth time through the order. And it's like, dude, I love kind of how you're looking towards the future, but like, where's the pitching coach here? Because you're not getting to the third and the fourth time through the order. (laughs) And you shouldn't be thinking about that. You should be thinking about attacking them and getting through three innings and then reformulating your plan. So, um, and Domingo Herman, I know he hasn't pitched yet, but like, you know, maybe he eats innings this weekend and saves some, gives Clay Holmes some rest. I think the guy need the guy Clay Holmes should not be throwing a lot this weekend. I, I no. really don't think he did not. I, I know he got out of jams. Uh, he got himself out of that jam on a Tuesday night. Um, Wednesday night, he gave that bomb to Bo Bichette. Shouldn't have been in the game, in my opinion. I don't necessarily think it's his fault for giving up a bomb. Bichette's just a, a lunatic and a very good player. Insane um, baseball player. Yeah, but. Uh, I, bad call by Aaron Boone in my in, in my eyes right there. It's it's tough to bring him into that spot. You saw what he did the night before. He was lucky to get out of that jam with how wild he was. Um, but hey, you look at this and this was not part of any plan, but it's amazing because now you have guys who can eat innings. Once again, Michael King and Severino come in last night. Uh, Kluber doesn't Kluber doesn't last five. And then you have you have a competent group of guys who can pick up the slack and give you multiple innings and not have you you know, throwing five relievers or six relievers for the last five innings because you or four or five innings because that's just really untenable. And that's how you get a tired bullpen. And that's how you get Chad Green coughing up a five-run lead against the Astros in uh, right before the All-Star break. Um, don't know how many times we have to stress how important it is to keep these guys rested and utilize them in the proper times. I know it's hard. I know the baseball season is a marathon, but sometimes the decisions, the, the decisions are very obvious and in front of your face. We talked about Severino coming in. That, look, we weren't even confident Severino was coming back, but we alluded to the fact, hey, if he comes back, that's a multi-inning bullpen weapon for the postseason. And then at that point, we're getting ahead of ourselves looking at the postseason after the Yankees shit, shit away their seven-game lead in 12 days. And then it's like, you know what? I don't even want to think about this anymore. Don't care what the bullpen looks like in the postseason. Let's just get to the postseason. That'd be fun. 
Um, so now they're here and you got King who oh, King was another guy who we thought was just going to be, we would never see him again. Uh, we're like, okay, great. Probably not. You know, what's his role? doesn't matter, but they did end up having a good role for him because we had talked about so many times previously. It's like, this guy is a middle reliever who either eats innings in a big win or eats innings in a big loss. And now King has kind of found his footing where you can trust him with a little bit of a lead. You can trust him in a tie game. Uh, his two seamer is disgusting. His curveball is incredible. The movement on his pitches. Uh, I understand that uh, it, it, previously he was hittable, but he's clearly figured out a way to command his stuff and hone his stuff and mix up his pitches to the point where batters are not on top of everything. So now you can talk about using him in a little bit more high leverage than we had previously predicted. Herman, like I said, don't really know what the future holds for him, but at the very least, it's a multi-inning guy who can eat innings. Wandy Peralta's is emergence, also unexpected. I know we gave that trade shit uh, when it happened, when uh, Talkman was dealt to San Francisco. Um, poo on us, bad call by us, bad Oops. call by me specifically. Um, Joely Rodriguez, totally capable. Don't, don't want him in the highest leverage of spots, but if you need a lefty, you got a lefty. So once again, this was not the Yankees' plan. Don't tell me it was. Secondly, it's it, it's finally at least comforting to know that something is breaking in our favor because of all the, the struggles that we've had with finding a role for King or what is he? Is he a starter? Is he long relief? I don't know. With all the struggles that we've had with Severino, with these, these create the, the crazy injury roller coaster he's gone through over the last two plus years, like something's got to break in this guy's favor. Something's got to break in the Yankees favor. They're supposed to have Cole Severino. That was the plan. Now it's not. Now you get Cole and now you get Severino as a bullpen weapon. I'm on board with it. I think this pitching staff is the most promising it's looked all year, even with coming into the season. Um, when you knew you had Darren O'Day, when you knew you had Luis Sessa from the off the jump, Luis Sessa looked like he was elevating himself to, uh, you know, a somewhat, uh, a somewhat uh, competent role where he can deal with high leverage situations. And he eventually did when you had uh, Loisega taking that leap, which we talked about last year, we were begging Loisega, Hey, can we get this guy high? <laughs> can we get this guy some more high uh, leverage innings? And then he gets mm-hmm. the high leverage innings and he gets tattooed. And it's like, all right, well, pitching coach, nope. let's figure this out. He's got the movement. He's got the velocity. Like let's do it. They did it this year. So Everything has come into form for the Yankees. I'm loving the way the bullpen is looking. It's it's crazy to think that this could potentially be the best bullpen that they're looking at heading into a singular postseason over the last four years or so. But I mean, I think that's the way it's shaking out. You guys, you got guys in the proper roles. You got the high leverage guys somewhat well, well rested, and that, that's really all it's going to come down to: deploying them when you need to and having your big guns ready to go, not overused against the best lineups in the American League. All you can ask for. Everybody who trots out of the bullpen, I at least nod and go, all right, whether it's the right decision or not. Although I will say when in a 5-2 game with Bobochet at the plate and the camera cut to Chad Green on the mound yesterday, I kind of yelped. I was like, oh, <laughs> give me a... <laughs> and you could also, it was it was like a horror movie because they showed a high center field camera angle. So it was like Michael K being like, Yankees baseball, as they're like coming back from the tees and you see Chad Green from 700 feet away and you're like, all right, okay, 5-2. Yep, that's... <sighs> Okay, it like gives you the whole tease to prepare. You're like breathing in and out. I would have gotten Severino. I, like we said, Bobachette tattoos a hanger into the gap. It's 5-2, runner on second, no outs for Teoscar Hernandez. And you're like, how are they? Po- I mean, get out of it. Honestly, I'm like, get out of it at 5-4. Yeah. I'll take the ninth inning stress. Get out of it at 5-4. To get out of it at 5-2 is crazy. Also, Alejandro Kirk kills us. 
yesterday's his first game of the series. What are you doing? Yeah. I, yeah. What are you doing? That, that guy he murders us. us. Yeah. He destroys us. You're going Reese McGuire yesterday, the chronic masturbator over Alejandro Kirk. Yep. Really? I don't know. Um, I, uh, I'm having fun. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to root for anybody. I, there's, I'm not going to say I want to face this team in a wild card. I'm not doing that. That's not where my rooting interest lies. Baseball is unpredictable. I am rooting for the Mariners to pass the Red Sox because the Red Sox are the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with an easier matchup. It has nothing to do with getting ahead of myself. It has everything to do with, I hate the Red Sox, and I'd like it if the Mariners passed them, please. That would be fun. Do you agree? Yeah, would love to see. Mariners have made the playoffs since 2001. It'd be great if they made it 20 years later, even this if is it just is easy. just a wild card game. It'd be this very fun. Easy. And speaking yeah, I, of that, on that I, note, because we were talking about it before, if there is a tie, it'll be at Fenway. Red Sox have the four, three advantage in the season series. That is, that's what rules all in the two team tiebreakers. Then it's higher winning percentage in intra division games. Then it's higher winning percentage in intra league games. And then it's higher winning percentage in the first half of intra league games. And it's higher winning percentage in the last half plus intra leagues game provided that such one additional game was not between the two tied clubs. Don't know what any of that means, but usually it's not coming down to that. So it's one of the first three. Red Sox won the season series four to three. You could just erase all that and say, if it's a Red Sox playoff game, maybe we're going to find a way to get it to Fenway Park. Um, I think I think it was Chris Cotillo who was wrong there. I saw him tweet something like, Red Sox could go from Washington to Seattle to Boston to New York to Tampa or something. One of those dumb airplane tweets. Um, mm. So if that's not true, oh well. But if you think the Mariners can't win on the road at Fenway, I mean, they, they clearly can. They can. The Mariners, all they do is win close games. They, they won games at Fenway earlier in the season. Um, the Red Sox have a four-three advantage, really. Um, yeah. I guess they split. I think they split a four-gamer at Fenway, and then the Sox took two out of three at Seattle last week. I believe that's true. Um, that that was a baseball reference says four to three. Yeah, I think four to three. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and believe the internet. I think that's <laughs> right. Um, but the all the Mariners do is win close games. They have a nasty yeah. bullpen for whatever reason. They hit just enough. They get clutch hits. They completely counteract the fact that baseball is predictable. They're like forty runs in, in the red. Under, I mean, they had a run differential of like negative 50 and they're right here and they faced the Angels this weekend without Shohei Otani. So again, I'm not rooting for any sort of presumptive like I want to face the Mariners, no. bring them to me. No, I mean, I do want to face the Mariners because I want the Red Sox exiled to hell. Yeah. That's the only reason I want to face the Mariners. It has nothing to do with the easier matchup. I just hope the Red Sox, you know, 20, it's it's. 2011 is not it's not 2011 redux 10 years later because they're not ending in Baltimore. They're ending in D.C., a team that's also terrible. Um, But Washington, you know, playing Washington, it's a hilariously stupid way to end the season. And I would I was mad at the schedule makers when the Red Sox had to go had to go to Baltimore and go to Washington. Then Baltimore took two and three and changed their profile picture to Robert Andino. And in the two games they won, made the Red Sox look sort of feckless and unable to come back in, in any way or muster any sort of momentum. Very funny and cool. But now I'm sort of, you know, I'm giving the schedule makers a little tip of the cap because they're in Washington. There's no universal DH. Yeah. So JD's got to sit or play the outfield or play first base. Schwarber, Dahlbeck, somebody has to sit. There's not enough room for all these people. Somebody, your DH has to sit and Eduardo Rodriguez has to hit. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's what's up. Um, I don't know who did that. Who did this, fam? Like for the first time, I understand Red Sox fans' frustration in a while because that's really that's really dumb. And no American League team who might be contending should be forced to end the season on the road in a National League ballpark. That that's easy. That's easy stuff for the schedule makers. You don't do that. Yeah. Um, so I'm rooting uh, like hell against the Red Sox, but only because they're the Red Sox. It has nothing to do with my desired opponent. I agree. I'm not. I mean, hey, look, if you really want to get down to it, you might not even want to face the Mariners because they're hot right now. The Red Sox are limping and trying to figure out what's going to happen with their fate because they just coughed away home field advantage in the wild card. Now they have to win. Now they really, you know, they they, they ha- kind of have to sweep to avoid any any issues here. Um, so the pressure is on them. And if they don't deliver, they're going to they're going to certainly be hobbling a little bit. But, yeah, I'm not rooting for any particular team. You're in the playoffs. You're in the playoffs. That's the end of the story. Put the opponent in front of me. Get the job done. That's all it's going to take. Um, quick uh, shout out, though. I have a big shout out on this podcast. Mm. Very personal for me. Alexander Wells, Baltimore <laughs> Orioles starting pitcher. My guy. 7-6-1 ERA heading into yesterday. Quality start against the Red Sox. One earned run over six innings of work. Allows three hits and two walks. Gets the victory, lowers his ERA to a robust 6.75. Let's get this guy in the Cy Young conversation. Shitting on the Red Sox end of season, making them have to fight for every last chance that they have to play long, uh, to extend this season. Absolutely incredible. Did it on 80 pitches too. Not sure why you take him out after 80 pitches, Brandon Hyde, but apparently it was the right decision. Um, And funny enough, the Red Sox actually faced Alexander Wells um, 11 days prior, uh, they rocked him in Boston to the tune of five earned runs over five innings, uh, six hits, a home run, uh, a walk added in on there. They elevated his ERA nearly to an eight, 7.96. Um, and then here you go. Justice is served, baby. Alexander Wells, left-handed pitcher, handles the Red Sox in Baltimore, gets the O's the series win before the season ends. And man, that Twitter Twitter interaction between the O's and the Orioles, that was some primo mm-hmm. stuff. That was the funniest. That was some of the funniest stuff we've watched all year. And it's it 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 does bring me pleasure. Um, I don't want to get I don't want to get too high on, on my high horse here, but it brings me pleasure to watch the baseball community come against the Red Sox in some capacity because it's just been so long where People have either felt bad for the Red Sox. Oh, man, the curse. It's been so brutal for us. Or it's like, oh, these are the these are the, uh, you know, the, the blue collar Red Sox. They're coming into town and, you know, they got they got these scruffy dudes who are on low salaries and they're going to kick your ass. And it's like, no, they got a top fucking four payroll, dude. What are you talking about? What where is this misconception coming from? I don't understand what you're talking about. Um, so it's like it's like indirectly. Just because the way the circumstances have unfolded and how the, the Mariners are kind of like the darlings of ML of MLB, because like it, it's sad that they had like they had one of the best players in MLB history on their team and they couldn't do anything with it. And, you know, it, you, everybody would have loved to see Ken Griffey Jr. get a World Series um, and then 20 years without a playoff appearance. Like forget about winning a World Series, forget about making the, the, the championship series 20 years without a playoff appearance. And teams are like, you know what? Let's see. Like, this run's incredible. This is fun. Let's see the M sneak in. They've been they've been doing what they've had to do. And their GM almost screwed them at the trade deadline. They got rid of their best reliever mm-hmm. and gave them to the Astros. So it's like how the season has unfolded and how the baseball community has indirectly rallied against the Red Sox. You know what? If it's not going to be a direct, like, in-your-face thing toward the Red Sox, I'll still take it. 
it's it's people it, it's Sox fans are certainly upset with what they're seeing and how like social media is 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 going for whoever they're 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 playing against this week. Hmm. Um, so it's been it's been really great and I, I've been enjoying myself. I must say the third podcast in a row, fourth podcast in a row where I'm I'm really enjoying myself. Agreed. I saw just a lovely moment last night too that I do want to point out that was a a completely earnest tweet and hilarious and cracked me up, but also was adorable and like was and was is what baseball is all about. Like Pete Abraham, who's a piece of shit, who's a Red Sox beat writer who you might remember from uh, fighting with Mike Miner when the Rangers let a pop-up drop after both the Red Sox yeah. and Rangers were eliminated. And so Mike Miner got his 200th strikeout of the year, or whatever, and the Rangers celebrated and Pete Abraham had a stick up his butt. Like that's not baseball. Okay. <laughs> the Red Sox, it, it wouldn't have happened if the Red Sox had been a little better. So maybe win games before you whine and complain. He tweeted last night, stirring stuff from the Red Sox who have responded to be down three, one by making six consecutive outs against the guy with a 7.61 ERA. And then some Orioles fan who's a really passionate Orioles fan unironically tweeted, no respect for Baltimore's 31st best prospect. I guess all we have to do is go by ERA. And it's like, it's just such a cute baseball thing to think that your 31st best prospect is supposed to be good. If you're and like, isn't supposed to be posting a seven, six, one ERA. Like 31st is, is low on the totem pole. Yeah. But like, thank God Alexander Wells bucked up. Great job. Pete Abraham's a true piece of shit. He was a Yankees <laughs> beat writer in 2009. Uh, I assumed he was a Yankees fan. I don't know if you're a diehard Red Sox fan. Uh, and look, you got to take whatever job comes your way. He's clearly a diehard Red Sox fan. His tweets are whiny and complainy and crying constantly. He's not just a beat writer. He's obviously a fan. He was a Yankees beat writer in 09 for Low Hud, which was my local paper. Why on earth would you take that job? You loser. You absolute loser. And then the first time he got a Red Sox offer, he bolted. And he's been whining and complaining about the Red Sox ever since. But Pete, I hope you got enjoyed getting dunked on by an earnest fan who hasn't experienced that much success in recent years and is, is genuinely enjoying themselves right now. And I'm glad that you're feeling pain and I hope it continues for a few more days. That is it for this mega Friday edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review along with a mailbag question. We'll be more than happy to answer it. The podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts. We are rounding in a form. We are having a hell of a week. We're trying to have a weekend, folks. We really are. We will see you on Monday either way. Hopefully, it's good news. Hopefully, it's a deep breath. Until then, I'm Adam Weinrib. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weinrib. And I'm Thomas Carinante. You can find me at Tommy's underscore takes. You can talk to us on the official Yanks Go Yard Twitter account at Yanks Go Yard FS. You can also hit up YanksGoYard.com. Plenty of content there for you. Playoff centric end of season stuff looking ahead towards the off season. We got everything there for you. I uh, just want to make one note. Uh, I messed up last pod Yankees world series odds coming into this year. were actually six to one, not 10 to one. Uh, so it was a little bit off, but guess what? The odds are still normalizing. I checked this morning. They're now, they're now down from 12 or 13 to one, wherever you were looking at it to now 11 to one. So uh, sexy stuff. It's fun. A lot of stuff to look forward to with this team. Uh, Got to get the job done this weekend against the Rays, though. Could finish the season with a winning record against the Rays this season if they sweep. Uh, we said that wasn't going to happen with the last two opponents, but who knows? Who knows? Good vibes. We're feeling good. It's Pizza Friday. Enjoy yourself, everybody. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Monday. And man, that will be an episode for you. And how did we get all the way to the end without this? 3-1 game, Orioles beating the Red Sox. Who drives in, runs four and five, and scores run number six? 
Phil Nevin's son, Tyler. Wow. Thanks, Nevin family. I assume he has no idea, no concept of how to round third and score safely either and is just doing it on complete gut instinct, uh, just like his pop. But thanks, Tyler, for helping out. Thanks, Baltimore Orioles. Go Yankees. We'll see you Monday. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.